If you want to open with me to Acts chapter 9, we're going to look there this morning. Uh, Former President George H.W. Bush, the, the elder Bush, he was speaking at an engagement several years back right after he had left office. And he explained what it was like to go from being vice president of the United States for eight years to being president of the United States for four years to then becoming a private citizen. He said, the first day that I woke up, I reached over to push the button for someone to bring me a cup of coffee. And I realized there was no button and there was no person to bring me coffee. And he said, then Barbara tapped me on the shoulder and said, George, go make your own coffee. He said, that would be quite a shock, though. One moment, you are the leader of one of the most powerful nations in our world. And the next, you're just an average, everyday American. But that's the beauty of our democracy. We spread the privilege of serving. See, our theme today is about leadership. It's about authority. And there's this old Peanuts comic strip, and Linus is very upset at the news that one of his teachers is about to be fired. And so he turns to Lucy and he says, they can't fire Mrs. Othmar. I'll write a letter of protest. I'll blow this thing wide open. I'll write to someone in authority, someone who can do something. He sits down, he begins to put pen to paper, but you can quickly see in the cartoon that he doesn't know anybody in authority. And so he turns over to Lucy and he says, Lucy, how does one get about going to write a letter to the Apostle Paul? See, the Apostle Paul had a kind of authority. If you, if you think about it, look at how often, how closely we study his words and scripture every day. Think about the importance of his words throughout the New Testament. But there was a time when Paul had a different kind of authority, an authority that sent chills down the spines of Christian believers. See, before his conversion, Paul had a different name, Saul. And Saul was to be feared, especially if you were a Christian. He seemed to take delight in persecuting followers of Jesus Christ. And it was all because of his fierce devotion to his beliefs. Saul was Jewish. He called himself a Hebrew among Hebrews. He was so fervent in his faith and the traditions of his people that he willingly stood by and watched the coats of a mob as they stoned Stephen to death. And Stephen's only crime was being a follower of Jesus Christ. Later on, Saul had risen to such prominence that he was given authority uh, to persecute and arrest any Christians that he would come across. He was a self-righteous, a big, egotistical man with ambitious plans. He probably felt very important, very, very big. You could picture him riding into town on his donkey, kind of sitting up extra high with his shoulders back as if he was big man on campus. But Luke, the author of the book of Acts from our scripture this morning, this is how he describes his downfall. Look with me at Luke, Acts 9, starting with verse 3. the scripture. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. 
And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. See, all of a sudden, Saul no longer seemed fearful, seemed fear and loathsome. That can happen in life a lot of times, can it? There was a pastor writing on the Internet about a man that he knew was a very proud man, a man that was very well off financially. And he would come to church on occasions. He was always very friendly, supportive. But he said um, one day this man read in the newspaper that his son was being sought after as for a crime for committing murder. Well, the man talked to his pastor and he said he was convinced his son was innocent. But as the years went on and the son went to trial, he was eventually convicted and sentenced to life without parole. Well, the father, even though he was on the opposite end of the country from his son, he continued to support him. He continued to be always convinced his son was innocent. Well, his father didn't want his son to be alone, so he was able to find a church from their denomination close by to the prison. And church people um, from that church began to go visit his son. Whenever the father would go and visit his son, he would attend that church himself. And he told the pastor, he said, you know, nothing has ever humbled me like the shame of having a son in prison. And yet at the same time, finding more love from God than I could ever understand. See, I think Saul could have related to that dad. Saul had been riding high. He, he, was, he, he was it. And now very quickly, he got brought down low. Luke says for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. But Saul experienced the love of God. And that love came through one ordinary Christian disciple, a man named Ananias. And this is really the only time this particular Ananias is mentioned in Scripture. There are other Ananiases in the New Testament, but this particular gentleman, this is the only time other than once more when Paul is giving his testimony. He's describing Ananias as a devout observer of the law and highly respected. But Ananias didn't need Paul's impressive credentials or his connections in order to be used by God. As Saul lay there blind and helpless, Ananias has this vision. Continue with me in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here without authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call in your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. See, Saul went through a transformation. Wouldn't you agree? 
Saul could quite literally sing, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. So this ambitious man with these big plans had this experience, and Saul was brought down to his knees. And he realized that his life's ambitions and his life's goals were a mistake. And through this ordinary man, Ananias, his life is radically changed. He becomes an apostle of Jesus Christ, whose followers he had been persecuting. And the question I always ask is, well, do those kinds of things happen in the real world? Do they still happen today? Are people's lives so radically changed today? Some of you may know the name Eldridge Cleaver. Eldridge Cleaver at one time was the leader of the Black Panthers back in the 1960s. But something significant happened in his life. And Pastor Ray Stedman tells about a conversation he had. And where Cleveland gives an example about his former life. He says, as a black panther, he was filled with this feeling of hatred and violence and rage towards any law enforcement agency. He couldn't help it. Every time he would get near an officer of the law, he would feel this sense of anger and rage and murder within him. But he said one night in the south of France, he had a vision. An interview of the face of Jesus Christ. And it drove him to scripture. He continued to read Psalms 23 over and over again. And he said, ever since that time on that balcony, he's never had that feeling of hatred again. He's looked for it. He expected it. But instead, he always had a sense of love for all those he met. What a transformation. And while we can never mention Eldridge Cleaver's name in the same company spiritually as the Apostle Paul... Their experience with Christ had some similarities because they were both delivered from these feelings of hatred and anger towards feelings of love and acceptance, all because of Jesus Christ. See, sometime after his experience in Damascus, Paul changes his, or Saul changes his name to Paul. And that's always been interesting to me. And you may think, well, what's so fascinating about that? A lot of people change their names today, don't they? Sometimes they're a little weird, but they do it. But back then, names meant something more than they do today. Back then, people knew the meanings and the history behind your names. See, Saul was a Hebrew name. It meant asked for or prayed for. If you remember the ancient people of Israel, they asked God for a king. So God gave them a king, and it was King Saul. He was asked for, prayed for by the people of Israel. So undoubtedly, this New Testament Saul was named by his parents after the Old Testament king. But there was one thing wrong with King Saul. King Saul was a disappointment. He was driven by his ego. He was desperate to maintain his position. He was actually driven mad in determination to destroy young David. So maybe Saul's name was part of his problem. Asked for, prayed for. Such a name would would make you feel important, make you feel puffed up. So whether his name was changed by him or by someone else, Saul chose a new name, Paul. And now here's what's fascinating, because the name Paul literally means small, as in insignificant, tiny, little. So Saul becomes small. And it's intriguing to me that the apostle chose to identify himself in this way. Because this one big man identifies himself after his conversion to Christ 
as small, as little. He wanted people to know he wasn't the same man that he had been before. In fact, later, maybe making a pun on his own name, Paul refers to himself as the least of the apostles. See, I think a lot of times we as adults, even Christian adults, when we become parents, when we're leaders or bosses or or people of influence in our communities, sometimes we can let that authority and that power go to our heads. We may think that because we're used to making decisions, that we're somehow in charge of our own lives, that we're running things. But yet we forget that every job we do, every dollar we make, every step we take in our life is all by the grace of God. And anyone who has been anointed by God to do his work, if they forget that it is God that gives them the power and the strength, that it is God who is, who is showing them the path, if they forget all that, they run the risk of falling way off track. See, Saul thought he knew what he was doing. Saul thought he knew his path. He knew it was right. He, he, he believed he was serving God by fulfilling this hate-filled agenda. Saul thought he knew everything he needed to know about God. But what he didn't realize is God was revealing himself through Jesus Christ, through the people he was persecuting. So God literally knocks him off his horse and blinds him in order that Paul could see better than he's ever seen before. See, instead of serving God, he was persecuting God's son. But now he realized who Christ was, the one with the true power and the true authority, and he was humbled to the point where he became an ambassador for Christ. And from that point on, he he would subject his reputation and his authority all to the will of God. And see, the same thing can be true for us. But we have to submit our lives to Christ. We have to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because until we do, we find ourselves traveling down a dangerous road. Until we yield our life over to his Lordship and his leadership, we lived with an inflative sense of who we really are. And we're warped by our own selfishness. See, even though we may believe we mean well, we may believe we're doing good, until we enter into this relationship with Christ, until we submit everything we are and everything we do and everything we say over to him, we're going down a dangerous path. Uh, Lee Strobel used to be a successful journalist, but by his own account, he, he was not a happy man. He described himself at one point in his life as profane and angry. He said one time he had come home and he was so angry, he actually kicked a hole in his living room wall. Now imagine what kind of impression that made on his little five-year-old daughter. But then Christ came into his life and it changed him radically. He said several months later, his daughter looked up and he said, her daughter said to his, mother, his wife, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he's done for Daddy. That was the kind of change that he had in his life. It's hard to argue with a testimony like that. Because Strobel said God not only changed his life, he changed his family and his world. And today he is a well-known pastor and author. And the question is, can we give that same kind of testimony? Would our children, would our grandchildren look up to us and say, God, I want you to do for me what you did for you. 
Can our family say that about us? Saul was a man with big plans. But he was an angry man looking to take his anger out on others. Until Christ humbled him. Gave him a new name, Paul, which means small. But only after he became small, after he became the least of the apostles, did he become the second most influential man through history, only second to Jesus Christ. Because it was after his experience on the road to Damascus that he became a man who could now see. A man who was set to live his life with the purposes of God. So clearly to the fact that we still study his words today. But probably most importantly, he became God's instrument. It was when he died to his former self that he became alive in Christ. And that's how God used him in a mighty way. And the same thing can be for us. He can use us in a mighty way. But first we have to humble ourselves. And die to our former selves and give our lives to him. So this morning, as we come to invitation time, my question is simple. Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you given everything over to God and allowed him to use you? Or is that something you need to do this morning? This morning, if you have a decision to make, I invite you to come.